Welcome to the Scottish Business Network podcast. Hello, my name is Fraser Allen and this is the Scottish Business Network podcast. In each fortnightly episode, you and I will be hearing from a big personality from the world of Scottish business. In our first episode, we met Tweedy Brown, soldier, businessman, impresario and bon vivant. This week, we're taking to the high seas with businesswoman and round-the-world yachtswoman Julie Ashworth. I met both Tweedy and Julie through the Scottish Business Network, which you can find out more about at sbn.scot. Now, Julie has one of those mind-boggling arrays of business interests that keep people like me wondering how she manages to keep all the plates spinning. But she does, very calmly it seems, from where I was sitting. Her main occupation is Broad Reach Limited, a global consultancy for resale brands that she founded 20 years ago. She is also executive chair of Clear Returns, a Glasgow-based startup developing technology for retailers that predicts which products will be returned when purchased online. What a smart idea. But there's more, and this is where I have to take a deep breath. Julie is also chair of the Institute of Directors in Edinburgh, Scottish representative for women on boards, a governor of George Watson's College, a board member of Founders for Schools Edinburgh, and a member of the Court of the Merchants Hall Edinburgh. Oh, and she took part in the first ever round-the-world yacht race. I met Lancashire-born Julie at her home in Edinburgh, and we began by discovering why she gave up a high-flying career at Tesco to spend the best part of a year sailing around the world when she has no knowledge of yachts and can't swim. So, hello Julie. Now, back in the mid-90s, you'd spent about 10 years at Tesco. You were doing very well, rising up through the ranks. You had great prospects, you had a good salary, company car, the pension, the whole caboodle, and then you decided to walk away from it all. So could you explain to us what happened next? Lists. It's all to do with lists. So, as you say, it was the mid-90s. I used to have my own list of things to do before I die or things to do before I'm 30, which in those days I thought was quite old. And I had my list. I had, at the time, met um, the man who is now my husband and I said, what would you put on your list? And being an outdoorsy type, he had, you know, run marathons and sail around the world. So I helped him put his list together. And then being the pragmatic sort of person I am, I went about actioning the points on right. his, yeah. on his yeah. list. Mm-hmm. So I applied for him to do the London Marathon. I <laughs> applied for him to sail around the world. Um, he went through the interview process, got on, and then as things were getting quite serious, he turned around and said, well, I won't do this unless you will, which is fine, but I'd never sailed and I don't swim, and I'm not particularly keen on water. I'm more of your sort of fine wine and fine restaurants kind of girl. Uh, but anyway, I thought if I go for the interview, it'll be fine because I won't get on, but I will have you know, gone through the process and I can carry on. Anyway, I went for the interview and got on. So what were your feelings as you set off on this great adventure? I was excited, very, very nervous. Um, And I I, I decided to do it. So in, in, I can say I'm quite pragmatic. So that was me. I was going to sail around the world. So I was going to sail around the world. And I never 
gave a thought to I gave a thought to the physical challenges, which um, were many and various, as you can imagine, sailing around the world's oceans. But the thing I hadn't appreciated, and I think possibly people who do it today have have more uh, cognizance of, is the the fact that you're on a sixty foot yacht in the middle of the ocean with essentially total strangers and you can't get off and that's a lot of uh, different personalities it's a lot of emotion and what do you do how do you resolve that so mm. as you said I'd spent a, a good 10 years at Tesco I'd been through all sorts of training and development you know as a, a a woman who who was then in very much a man's world, so I'd been exposed to lots of great support, great training, but courses can't really teach you what to do in that environment. All of a sudden, everything you'd learned felt very, very theoretical. So there's some very difficult times with your crewmates, with you know arguments and falling out. And and I think that yes, there are, there are across anything like that I think across all the the yachts and again on, on the yacht it was predominantly guys and you know they you can remember on the foredeck you know there's lots of men well I say lots of men you know guys squaring off against each other in that in that way that you know I have children now and they resolve things by a sort of eruption and then everything's fine but one of the, the biggest challenges uh, was, you know, a group of 10 or 12 strangers actually getting along and doing the job. Mm. Because mm. at the end of the day, it was a race. And if you didn't work together, you, your yacht wasn't going to, to be the one that, that wins. And that's important to you. And I think that's probably one of the biggest things that I took back into the workplace that that working together, resolving the issues and having common purpose. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it, it, were, it was Were you a fun. peacemaker on the, on the boat, on the yacht? Um, I think you... It takes an ocean. It took the Atlantic for us all to settle right. into roles... Um, we were. I, I. I was assigned a, a role of victualling, uh, so getting right. all the the provisions oh, right, um, okay, coming yeah. from Tesco. Yeah. I think it was assumed <laughs> I had a, a good knowledge of uh, food, uh, as it were, and, and, and distribution. But of course, all of that is completely different. Storing food um, on a yacht and, and mm. dividing, de- designing um, how you cook was uh, so. We all had roles. Uh, the role of the skipper is key. Uh, they have an essential role in pulling everybody together. And again, that translates very much into the workplace. It's the role of the CEO, the role of the board. Yeah. That essentially guides where you're going. And it's exactly the same. How was the skipper selected? That I can't tell you. I mean... I don't know. Right. We were, um, in 1996, we were the first cohort, the pioneers of the Round the World right. Jockeys. Um, it's led by William Ward as a businessman. He'd invested along with Sir Robin Knox Johnson and put the race together. And they had um, obviously selected the skippers at that time. 
the race has developed and moved on so much more mm, now. Mm. But it's dangerous, isn't it? I mean, people have died to do this. Yes, yeah. yes, indeed. Did you have any hairy moments? Um, we were very fortunate. Uh, everything, everything went well. You know, yes, we, we kind of... <clears throat> in training, we did actually hit... And it was in training, not in the race. Uh, we hit a, 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 a boy mm. head-on. But because we hit it head-on, we hold at the front if you'd hit it at the side, right, right. a bit like Titanic. If you'd hit the iceberg head-on, it would have been fine. Right. Um, <clears throat> but, um, so, yes. And, you you know, you have too much sail in, in an ocean. They're big sails. You, mm. go, you go right the way over. You it literally come off big waves, suspend, and then land. Right, right. So, yes, there were... And I guess I refer to those as a very physical... It's a very physical thing. Um, because you're battling the weather, but you're you're right. Um, sadly, people have died. Mm. And uh, do you, did you have times when there is no wind and so there's, no, there's nothing much happening? You just it, did it become quite tedious at times? Not tedious, um, but yes, we did. Uh, you you do have elements where you're becalmed, and those those are the times that, in many ways, are the most difficult. Because there's nothing as damaging as a an empty mind, so mm. to speak. And when there is just heat and mm. you know, no sail to trim, nothing to do, mm. that's when the relationship element can really right. be at its most yeah. challenging. Yeah. Uh, if if there's big waves, if there's a, another yacht in sight, if you're you know big weather, rain, storms. Mm. It's action-packed, no time to think, you're really busy. But, um, yeah. So can you give us an idea of the, the timescales in terms of the time you took out of your career? Because presumably there's a, a large training element before you actually head off? Yes, all in all, it was just over a year. Right. A, a year to 18 months. Um, so the train, you did the training um, for some time, yeah. part, partly when I was still working at Tesco, and then... Year, the actual race, I think, was 10 months, right. all told. Right. So was it a wonderful sight to arrive back on <laughs> dry land for good when the race was over and ended? Where did you finish in the race? Um, that's a good point. Where did we finish? Some time ago. I think we were fourth. Well, that's um, pretty we good. We definitely weren't Out, out of how many, roughly? Oh, we were a, a dozen at the time. Right. Yeah. So again, it was we were we were the first ones through. So we always we were always sort of muddling around in the in the top six. Mm. No, it was it was a really great thing to do, and I would you know very much recommend it for anybody else. So you can you can do a leg, right? You know you can yeah. do a portion of it, and again, I I would recommend it. You you learn. You learn in the moment you mm. a lot about yourself, but you learn a lot about yourself with other people and with teams. Right. And certainly, yeah. with hindsight, you continue yeah. to learn. Yeah. And I always remember uh, Sir Robin Knox Johnson saying, don't let this be the thing that defines you. Don't let the fact that you have sailed around the world be the only thing you do. Make right. it the base thing you do. Okay. And I think that I've always remembered that. I think um, it's an outstanding thing to have done. Mm. I'm very proud to have done it. But it is one of a number of... You know, it's important that it yes. is a, one of a number of, of course, yeah. achievements. Yeah, yeah. 
and that drives me still. So it's interesting you're still drawing from it. What a great way to start the interview then with the base, <laughs> and you've gone on to achieve so many other things. Just, but uh, just to go back briefly, though. So your husband was on, was taking part in the race as well, but on another boat, on another yacht. And he was on the same. I was on the same. Yes, same we as weren't as married at the time. All oh, right, okay, yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, so was that? <laughs> did that put any strains on the relationship? No, it didn't, <laughs> actually, it was fine. I suppose if you can get through that, so you know, marriage is going to be a, a doddle. It. it we we work together um, right. now um, in in one of the roles I have. Um, you you learn to you know we had a role we had a mm, job on mm. the, on the yacht, and that's what we did. And right. when you were in port, then it was different. But on the boat, not not at all were we together. Yes, uh, so to speak. Right. <laughs> okay. Um, well, that's great. Let's go back now to. The beginning of your, your your life. You grew up in Lancashire. I did. And um, could you tell us just a bit about your, your family upbringing, where you went to school, that kind of thing, and, and your hopes and ambitions as you set off to begin your career? Um, well, as you say, I, I came from Lancashire. I was uh, in a very small town at, at primary school, a small town called Barn Oldswick. And I was, I think, the last year where we sat our 11 plus. And I was, you know, I passed my 11 plus. I was the only one that did out of a small group. And that meant I went to Skipton Girls High School, which was a coach ride away, but more importantly, it was over the border. It was in Yorkshire. Indeed, indeed. So I spent my formative years um, in Yorkshire, uh, went through school there, and then came back to Lancashire to college. Uh, where I did mostly art-based A-levels, uh, dance, drama, not at all the business that right. I'm in <laughs> um, now. And so uh, how do you explain that? Because I know certainly in your later career you're really into corporate governance and yes. sitting on boards and that kind of process stuff, which seems a world away from, from art and drama. And well, again, it, it's, I, I, I suppose I was... That was what I was naturally drawn to, and it is still very much a passion. I went through A-levels, and then I was fortunate enough to, again, in those days, you were well supported with grants. Um, my original background, you know, I'm sort of from a council estate, I had no family uh, support to go to college or university. And I... Have following on from A-levels, went through clearing and went to college to do theatre studies and got my degree. And following on from that, I wasn't sure really what I wanted to do. I've always sort of harboured the idea that I might become a barrister. I like the idea, so there's an acting element <laughs> um, in there. Um, and I guess while I was still thinking about it, I decided to do um, a master's or, or look at marketing right. and to finance that because you no longer had a grant. Um, I worked for a company in those days called Century, Century Oils, uh, worked in their PR and marketing. And the reason I looked at marketing was all the jobs that were in the world of, of art or drama or theatre were jobs. They didn't have, in those days, a particular career path. And right. I felt I needed, I was, it was a hard worker, I, I needed mm, a, mm. 
a path I could follow um, in order to to achieve something and to finance my um, marketing, uh, uh, you know, further degree, I worked on the night shift at Tesco, filling shoes. Um, and so, so you literally started on the shop floor. Yes, very much so. Yeah. And it was there that uh, one of the managers came up and said, "We have a graduate program. Would you be interested in joining?" And I thought, "Well, not really. Why would I want to work in a shop?" But I did join um, because it was a very structured mm. uh, career path and that appealed to me. The idea that if you work hard, you, you know, you can progress through the ranks. And that worked for me. I did their graduate training programme and then literally worked my way up until, as you say, I left for, uh, to do the round the mm. world job race. So what, what, was, what was your role before you left to do the race? Um, I was, uh, worked in stores. Uh, so I yeah. was on the operations side um, and was uh, doing direct development and working in stores. Right. Um, across, across the side. Well, you moved a lot, sort of moved across the country. And you, you, you mentioned before that you had a, a great mentor at Tesco in the shape of uh, the former MD, David Malpass. Yes, um, yes. And he, I think he, he taught you um, the, the phrase that failure, failure was something to be embraced. Absolutely. What was that all about? Um, I think as you go through a corporate career, you always have uh, something that you've tried really hard to do and it doesn't work out. And I, I can't even remember at the time what it was, but I, do, I, I can still visualise. Uh, he came to see me sitting in a small office and he said, it really doesn't matter. And told me stories of, you always imagine those who are at the very top of the tree have never failed. They've done fantastic things. And he just told me his story of a time in his career where he'd failed and failed badly, much worse than the situation he was talking about with me, and that that was okay. And without failure, you don't learn sufficiently. Mm. So again, a, a bit like Sir Robin's um, comment, that's something that always has, has stayed with me, that, you know, the thought of failure shouldn't be in the way of you trying. Right. Are there any other particularly... I mean, you drew a lot on the around the, the World Yacht Race... Any other things that you still think back to the Tesco years and, and uh, that you benefit from in your career? The 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 support if for 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 certain people working corporately is really good because you have a, a network um, a network particularly if you work in operations you have an extensive network of. Uh, all the different back areas that, that go into supporting that. And I, with hindsight, um, you need to extend your network both corporately and outside. Mm -hmm. So, again, Tesco was very good at looking, well, you do this very well, but what does your competition do well? Where do you right. sit? Yeah. Um, and your reference point wasn't, or wasn't just... The internal, where do you sit or where does your store sit or where do your stores sit? It was where do you sit within the market? Where do you sit outside? And again, so what do I bring? I, I guess it's that sense of always looking 360, always looking outside and you never, never settling on a single achievement. Right, okay. 
keep moving forward. So you, you did move forward. You, you went around the world in a, in a yacht. You, you came back. What did you, what did you intend to do next when you returned from the race? Not go back to corporate life. Um, and I, I don't know, again, hindsight, I don't know if that was a good decision or a bad decision, but I was, I was quite focused that I would uh, set up my own business uh, which I then thought, well, I'll set up a business and I'll take corporate people training on yachts. But that uh, didn't work. And, and I tried a number of things. But essentially, I ended up advising other businesses, which, of course, ultimately is called consultancy. Sorry, I've got a grab. <laughs> Okay. Um, advising other businesses so uh, Broadreach was born out of that Broadreach is a sailing term it's the fastest point of sale I liked the connection um, with a broad yeah. reach mm-hmm. uh, reaching out as a consultancy mm-hmm. and so I started that in when I came back in 1997 and Broadreach has always been, it's, it's ebbed and flowed if you like over the years to what it is now, but it initially started as a consultancy, primarily to other retailers. So I still had my retail network. I then, through throughout the time that Broadreach has existed, so till the current day, I've always dipped back into the corporate world, if you like, to to keep to keep sharp, because mm-hmm. I have a passion that if you make an intervention in a business it has to it has to be relevant it has to um, have stickability a sustainability mm. so I've taken roles as the retail director at Liberty right of London yeah um, I did a role as again retail director with Punch Taverns and the Spirit right. group and when IBM bought PwC and they moved from primarily looking at hardware into software, I went as um, uh, their retail partner, executive right. partner. So is that typically a kind of six months, one year sort of About thing? About a year, yeah. Yeah. yes, yes. Yeah. And so all the time looking at, uh, I guess, the common theme is bringing, bringing people together and, and mm. change. Yeah. So yeah. It, it, it keeps you relevant in business it keeps yeah. you still at the and uh, still at the, the the sharp edge and knowing that when I'm talking to people on boards when I'm talking to other retailers I'm talking to the retail directors being there mm. being there seeing but you also like the fact that you'll be leaving in, in a year's time to do something different yes. <laughs> you, you, clearly you've got so many different business interests you like a lot of variety and diversity in what you do I, I, I assume yes um, yes. I mean, where's, where's, um, where's, so where's broad reach now what, what we the business, uh, the business uh, continues to to thrive. We have clients, not all retail clients. Uh, a commonality of clients we work with tends to be that they're very often on multi-site or multi-geography. Mm-hmm. So we have clients in Australia. Um, we've worked in South America and America, and um, across Europe. So a real variety of of deliverables uh, with different people. Right. And you, but you also have uh, uh, very active involvement in clear returns. 
Yes, a bit uh, about that? Uh, Clear Returns uh, began as a startup again uh, with a retail element, more retail tech, and they as as retailers moved really from bricks to to online and into e-commerce. Clear Returns was born out of its founders' uh, frustration that surely if you send everything back, that you know there can't be a commerciality element, and so. Over time, we looked at different technologies that could prevent the, or enable a retailer to predict and then prevent the returns. So uh, Clear Returns continues to move ahead and is one of a number of other interests that I have. So here in Scotland, I'm also on the court of the uh, Royal Merchant Company. Mm. Again, links back to retail because in the 1500s, 1500. Um, if you wanted to trade within the uh, the city walls of Edinburgh, you had to, you had to belong to a merchant company, right. and that was uh, very philanthropic for those merchants who were all men, of course, in those days. In order that they provided, you know, education boards for the children or the widows that were left behind. And it's a flourishing organisation with quite a lot of assets, I think, isn't it? Yes, it is. And uh, it well supports the schools that we have here in Edinburgh, such as George Watson's, Mary Erskine and Stuart's Melville. Yeah. So, yes, very much so. But you, you're also, I mean, I've got a list of things. That you, so you're chair of the Institute of Directors in Edinburgh. That's correct, yes. You are a board member of Founders for Schools. Um, yes, on the advisory board here. And, and what's so nice is that um, all of these things uh, link back either to civic community or to education. Right. Oh. So, of course, the merchant company is very involved in the civic community of Edinburgh. The Institute of Directors, of course, you know, by virtue of its name, brings directors from multiple sectors together right. yeah. um, in terms of uh, its network. And Founders for Schools is a terrific organisation that... Um, matches businesses with educators, mm. which is essential. And so the more exposure that uh, children can have, right through from primary school with people who are in the workplace, mm. then the more, um, the, the more likely they are to go into the different roles that we don't yet know yeah. uh, even yeah. exist. And so we don't just reach out to corporates to go and talk into schools as soon as you, any, I would encourage anybody listening to this to sign up on the Founders for Schools uh, website and offer themselves to go along and talk to your local school so the algorithms match you locally with oh, where you would yeah. like to be with your local school mm -hmm. and um, provide you with a, a very neat framework to enable you to go in and, and mm -hmm. chat to the children. So a terrific organisation. Right, right. So, you, I mean, you must spend a lot of time in board meetings, advisory board meetings, committee meetings. Do you enjoy meetings? And <laughs> no. if so, do you have any, any advice on how to manage meeting environments well? Because for a lot of people, that's not a fun prospect. Um, I think it's correct. So one of the things I'm terribly passionate about at the moment is I, I do some work with women on boards and we do a programme called Getting to the C-Suite. And funnily enough, that, that how to, to in, in meetings, in particular board meetings and how to make your voice heard, is very much part of that. 
If you are a senior executive, you can spend up to 90% of your time in meetings. But actually, uh, a, a successful meeting is an inclusive meeting. And it is about having everybody's voice brought to the table and everybody's voice heard. That, that is essential. You can't have a successful meeting when it's not an inclusive meeting. So, first of all, who are you meeting with? Why are you meeting them? And who's, you know, are you bringing all the brains into the room? Are you bringing all the voices into the room? Great. In, term, in terms of meetings, I know that you've, um, you've worked with Jo Swinson, the, the Liberal Democrat uh, MP, and that she, you found her very useful in a meeting environment. But why was yeah. that? Jo had, or probably still has, uh, and she's uh, deputy leader now, of course. Jo was on the board of Clear Returns with us um, for a while when she was out of uh, Parliament. But she had a fantastic ability to, it's like a, a hot knife through butter, um, just ask the most direct questions. And I very often found myself thinking, uh, what would Joe do? Because there was not a moment where she didn't think something was possible. It was always her positivity and the art of the possible. And so at moments when I, I kind of accept or doubt that I can move forward, there, there are several times when I have thought, if Joe were in the room, what would she do? And of course she was for long enough the baby of the house. And it, I do find that working with uh, young people generally, they have no, no fear of failure almost. They have ambition, but they have a, a can-do attitude. How can we do this? And that's terribly refreshing as you, as you work through your career. You tend to, I suppose, under, not understand, but you explain away why something isn't possible. Hmm. Yeah. that you wouldn't have done in your younger self. So it's always good to be reminded of that, that, yes, you can. Mm-hmm. So if you start from a base of, yes, I can, yeah. or you start from a base of, yes, certainly as you get older and when you work with um, more established boards or people who've been in person a long time, the first reaction very often is, we can't because. Yes. So there are certain individuals and and. Mm-hmm. You know, very often younger people come from a place of, right, how can we? Mm-hmm. How can we do this? Yeah. And I like that. Great. That's interesting. So you are now um, very much ensconced in the kind of Edinburgh business community. Scotland is your sort of uh, adopted right. homeland. Yes. You, your, your family brought up your family here. Um, what, are, what things do you, you enjoy doing outside your very busy career commitments? Edinburgh is a fantastic city and people forget, I think, very often that it's actually a coastal city. So um, I'm fortunate to live in the city centre, surrounded by great theatre, uh, great art, museums, galleries, and 15, 20 minutes walk along the water of Leith, literally down to the coast. And then on the other side, surrounded by the Pentland Hills. But all of the festivals are terrific, but in particular, I like the book festivals because you, again, you listen to the authors and always learn something. You can, you know, that. And you're very handily placed. You're about a five-minute walk from the book festival. That's right, mm. but you, it, it's like professional development because you you go and listen. You know, the fact that somebody's written a book and somebody else has read it is is in itself a fantastic thing. 
or you know somebody's made a piece of art, piece of drama but you listen to them listen to their background you will learn it is it is like mm. the best professional development that i have each year mm-hmm. going and listening to the authors love it Thanks very much to Julie Ashworth. That was a really fascinating insight into her career to date. My name is Fraser Allen. I'm from White Light Media, Scotland's most creative and results-driven content marketing agency. We're always here if you need us. Uh, That's the end of the podcast for now. I'll be back with episode three in two weeks' time. Bye-bye. To find out more about the Scottish Business Network, simply visit sbn.scot.